Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted. And they came to him. And he appointed twelve, designating them apostles, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. Awesome. (laughs) Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. This is God's word for us uh, tonight. Let's pray together before we consider it. Father, we do ask that uh, in these next few moments you'd be our teacher. You know that apart from your Spirit's help, we uh, have no hope of understanding this or having this be relevant into our life at all. So Spirit, would you come, would you teach, would you illuminate, would you draw us closer into uh, your heart? And that would be our prayer. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. This past weekend, I spent it in Canton, North Carolina, which is right outside of Asheville. Uh, the reason I was there is, is once a year, me and my three other close college buddies uh, get together and spend a long weekend together uh, eating amazing food, drinking really good drinks, laughing a ton, uh, going on adventures, uh, being very brutally honest about our life, and uh, praying for one another. And so uh, we're all scattered all over the country now. We went to the same college, but we're all over the country now. And so I drove down to Canton from Boone. One of my buddies drove down from Charlottesville, Virginia. Uh, One of our guys flew out from Fort Worth, Texas. And then the fourth flew out from Seattle, Washington. Now why on earth spend that much money and time and energy to spend two and a half days in a cabin in Canton, North Carolina. If you've been to Canton, North Carolina, you're familiar with the stink of this town. Anyway, that's irrelevant. There's a huge paper mill there, so there's just like this cloud of stench that just is on Canton. If you're from there, sorry, but it's true. Now, why do we do this? Why do we get together and spend that much money, that much time, that much effort to spend two and a half days in the stink? It's because we all desperately want community. And when we get together and spend those days together and enjoy and experience community with one another, it really is uh, rejuvenating to our souls. It's one of my favorite weekends of the whole year. We do it every single year. But we don't just want community, me and my buddies. I mean, you do as well. You know exactly what I'm talking about. This is why uh, it's partly so frustrating your freshman year here at App. Or when, you're a tr- when you transfer into app, because there's so many different communities that you can plug into and so many competing things, you don't really know where to start. It can be very frustrating. It can be very overwhelming. But the community is such a big deal that at the end of every single semester, here in RUF at least, uh, we let the seniors stand up and share for a few minutes what their experience in college is like. And 98% of the time, no one ever mentions me and how great these sermons are and how impacted they were, they talk about you. They talk about the community. They talk about their friends. It's that important. It's that meaningful. 
But for as beautiful and great and amazing as community really is, it can also be really confusing and complicated and dysfunctional and hard. Uh, you're going to experience what this, what I'm talking about here in a few months, I guess, uh, when, when it's time to figure out who you're going to live with next year and where you're going to live, and you start having really weird conversations because you want to live with this group of people, and this person wants to live with you, but you don't want to live with them, and now you have to have really weird, awkward, honest conversations with each other. And that's community. That's part of what it means to be in community is it's, it's just kind of uncomfortable sometimes. But also, it's hard because for some of you, you don't know how to... You don't know how to enjoy it. You don't know how to tap into this thing. And so what you do is you're really a part of 12 different communities. You go to five different campus ministries and three different Bible studies. And so because you're, you're spread so thin, lots of people know who you are. They know your name. They think you're cool. But nobody knows you. They don't know your struggles. They don't know what it's, you don't know what you really wrestle with. They don't know what you're really like. And so because you do that, you don't really tap into and enjoy and experience community as you could. For all of the beauty, the complexity, the confusion of community, we're brought to this passage. Because this passage really is about the community that Jesus forms and what it means to be a part of a Christian community. So I want to look at three things uh, from this passage. No surprise. We're going to be looking at... Uh, the community of Jesus, its origin, its purpose, and then its power. Okay? Three things. Its origin, its purpose, and its power. First, its origin. In other words, you know, where does this thing come from? And just to cite my sources, just to give you a footnote on the front end, I've got a lot, I got a lot uh, of this first point from a friend of mine, an RUF campus minister named Sean Slate. So, thank you, Sean. If something's good... It's Sean Slates. If it's weird and confusing, that would be me. Um, if you look at verse, seven, uh, verse 13, it says, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. And so what we learn is that Jesus is the one who is forming this community. He is the origin of, of, of Christian community. He, he, is the, um, he is the one that forms it. And I think, if we're really honest... Uh, we hate this. Because you want, and I want, to create our own community. We want to be the creators of our community, not Jesus. And so what that means is that you want a Christian community of people that look like you, uh, that think like you, that vote like you, and that are excited about the same things that you're excited about. And because uh, this is the case, we want to surround ourselves with people that really just make us feel cool and important and make our lives easier and more comfortable. And I do too, if I'm honest. Uh, when I was in college, when I was in your seat, I was involved with uh, RUF at the University of Oklahoma. It was a much smaller group. But for the sake of um, protecting this person's identity, I'm just going to call him Joe. There was this guy named Joe in our RUF group. And he was really tall and really awkward, and he wore uh, glasses that were like the shape of aviators that covered most of his face. Uh, he wore his pants up to his chest. Uh, he was like just the quintessential nerd. And he uh, took a liking to me. He hung out with, you know, he, he was always kind of hanging around with me. And, and he, he had this uh, collection of miniature figurines uh, from the Lord of the Rings that he had personally painted. 
And he, he was always inviting me over to his house to see these things, to kind of to, you know, experience his figurine set. And this meant a lot to him. And much to my shame, looking back, uh, I avoided him. I made up excuses so that I didn't have to go to his house and see his figurine collection. He was awkward, and he made me feel uncomfortable. It made me feel awkward, and so I avoided him, much to my shame. Now, I realized, looking back, what was going on is that I wanted to be the origin of my Christian community. I wanted to create a Christian community, and, and if, I, if it were up to me, Joe would not be in it. He would not be a part of my Christian community. And yet, Jesus had formed this RUF group, this Christian community, and here Joe was. And here I, and here I was. For some reason that I missed, at the, I missed my chance at the, at, at the time. And the reality is, uh, Jesus chooses to bring people together that aren't alike. I mean, this room is full of people that you wouldn't choose either. I mean, half of this room wouldn't choose you. <laughs> and yet here we, all to, you know, here we are all together. There's a lot of diversity in this room. And so if we're going to do the, the authentic, eclectic, Christian community thing, we just have to admit on the front end that this is going to be hard. But this is not a novel concept. This is not something we created. If you, if you look at this passage, there is a whole lot of diversity and potential Conflict in this group. So, for example, look at a couple of these. Uh, look at the, look at a few of these personality differences. It says in the, in, in verse uh, sixteen, we see Simon Peter. Now, if you're familiar with Simon Peter at all, throughout the throughout the gospel stories, he has a huge personality. He is impulsive. He wears his emotions on his sleeves. He speaks before he thinks. And whenever he succeeds, he succeeds in a huge way. And whenever he fails, he really royally screws up. So you have Simon Peter and then in the very next verse we're introduced to James and John who Jesus nicknames the Sons of Thunder. Which is the most amazing nickname Jesus has given everyone. Anyone. You know they, you know they have the tattoo on their back. Um, but my guess is my guess is the reason Jesus gave them this nickname and I don't I'm just guessing, I don't know, was because they are every bit as huge in their personality as Simon Peter is. So, for example, in Luke chapter 9, there's this story about these, these guys, and they're walking through a Samaritan village. And this, this village is not uh, excited that they're there. They're they rejecting James and John. It actually, it says in Luke chapter 9 that they were not welcoming to them. They weren't welcoming to them. So James and John go up to Jesus, and they, they ask Jesus permission to call fire down from heaven and to kill everyone. That's, that's how they deal with conflict and rejection. We will just obliterate you. So, you know, you have these huge personalities. Of course there was conflict. Of course there was issues there. But it wasn't just personality differences. There's also political differences. If you look in verse 18, we hear about Matthew. And Matthew is just another name for Levi, who we learned about a few weeks ago if you were here. Levi slash Matthew was a tax collector. Now, tax collectors supported and worked for the Roman government. If you keep going, in, uh, in verse 18, it says Simon the Zealot, another Simon who is referred to as the Zealot. Now, Zealots were a political party that hated the Roman government. In fact, they were encouraging Israel to take up arms and to rebel against the Roman government. Let's, let's win back our independence. So you have two people, same group of 12 guys, 
One's over here politically, one's over here politically. This one's working for the man, this one hates the man. This one is for big government, this one's against big government. So you have personality differences, you have political differences. And what I want you to see is just, don't you see how eclectic and diverse the community of Jesus is? It is not this homogenous group of people where everyone looks the same, thinks the same, votes the same, behaves the same. It's not. And this is actually what we want RUF to be as well. Because this is, what the, this is what the community of Jesus is. So we want, in this room, in community groups, in Bible studies, homeschoolers sit next to public schoolers. We, we want students that uh, were raised in gated communities sitting next to and praying with uh, students that were raised in trailer parks. Uh, we want Democrats, Republicans, Tea Partyists, whoever else, Independentists, all, all here together. You know, whites, blacks, Mexicans, Asians, whatever. Uh, dorky kids, uh, popular students, gamers, athletes. Th- this is what we want. Because this is what the community of Jesus is. And we're thankful for the, di- the diversity that we even have in this room already. But I know the diversity that is here presently is frustrating, can be frustrating. And it's really hard. And that's really, I think, our biggest problem with Christian community So we we don't get to set the terms for it. So what happens is that we often just opt for community. Just community in general. Not Christian community, but community. And this is why uh, we love our fraternities and sororities. Because you basically get to pick who you want in your immediate community. You, you You get to pick the right people, as it were. You get to surround yourself with people that basically resemble you. You get to have community that's on your terms. I'm not, not, I'm not knocking the Greek system. That is community. And it can be a great community. Just don't be naive into thinking that it's a Christian community. Even if your fraternity or sorority has Christian roots to it. A, a Christian community is one where you don't set the terms. Because Jesus is the origin of it. He's the one that frames it. He's the one that forms it. Which means it's going to be diverse. It's going to be eclectic, it's going to be messy, it's going to be hard. Because he sets it up, not you. That's the first thing we learn. The origin of the community of Jesus. Here's the second, the purpose. In other words, what is the point of getting together and doing this? Well, if you look at verse 14 and 15, uh, I see three purpose, purposes given. It says in verse 14 that he appointed 12 so that, number one, they might be with him. Now, I think that is like the golden nugget of this passage. Because it says, Jesus wants friendship. He wants to commune with other people. He, he wants to be with you personally, intimately, relationally. And that is amazing. That, that really is mind-boggling. Because I think more often than not, the, the image that we have of Jesus is arms folded, foot tapping, and a look of kind of frustrated disappointment. He's just always frustrated with us. He's always just kind of tolerating us because, we, because we're always failing him. We're constantly screwing up and, and, and messing things up. But that's not the image that we have here. The image is when you woke up this morning, if you are someone who's responded to Jesus by faith, then this means that he was waiting in a sense 
eager to be with you. Is that how you see him? Because that's how he's presented. That's the first purpose, the first reason why the community of Jesus exists. It's to be with him. This, if you keep going, the other two reasons are that, you know, Jesus assembles this community so that, number two, to send them out to preach, and number three, to have authority to drive out demons. Now, these two purposes were very specific for these group of, this group of 12 men. And what I mean by that is not everybody is called to be a preacher. Not everybody is called to be an exorcist. But if you, if you take the principle there and generalize it and kind of zoom out a little bit, this means that in general the community of Jesus exists to have a ministry of word and deed. We, we preach the gospel. We tell the gospel story. We hear the gospel story. And we fight against the forces of evil at every level. Which means that the community of Jesus exists for the spiritual healing and the spiritual blessing of the world. That's the point. This is why when we get together in large groups or in small groups, we open up the Bible and we remind ourselves of the gospel, of the story of Jesus. We do this in small groups. We do this here because we need to hear it. This is why we do um, the soup kitchen thing on Thursday. Because people need to be fed. And we want to exist for the spiritual healing and the blessing of our immediate community. This is why we're going to inner city Chicago uh, next March. To, to, to move into really hard, underprivileged, needy places. And to help in some small way. And so what should be happening as we continue to do this thing called RUF. Is we should see more people heading to Bradford Park to mentor and to teach those kids out there. We should see more people getting involved in the fight against sex trafficking. We should see more people getting creative about how we think about to care for our environment, to care for uh, uh, the context God has put us in. We should see more people uh, getting together to strategically and creatively think about ways that we can bless the campus of ASU. That is really why we exist. It, it, It is to bless the world that we're in. This is why, by the way... Jesus picks 12 disciples. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever wondered, okay, why 12? That's a a very specific number. I mean, why not 100? He could have picked as many as he wanted. Why not 1,000? Here's why. If you're familiar with the Bible at all, in the Old Testament, the people of Israel, the church in the Old Testament, as it were, were called Israel because that was basically the collection of descendants of these 12 sons of this man named Israel. And so you you hear the Israel, 12 tribes of Israel, same thing. So what Jesus is doing is he's forming a new Israel, the church. And the purpose statement of the church is the same purpose statement of the old Israel, which is in Genesis 12. It says this, God says, I will bless you so that you will be a blessing. And what this means is the reason why the church exists is to bless other people. This is why we exist, to be with Jesus, to tell the gospel story, and to bless the world. Here's my question for you. Is that why you're a part of Christian community? To be with Jesus, to tell and to hear the gospel story, and to bless the world? Or are you just a consumer and gorging yourself on Christian ministries and Christian conferences and Christian books and Christian podcasts? But you have no intention whatsoever of, of, of loving and serving anyone else. I mean, it, 
is the, is the person on your hall who doesn't believe in Jesus, are they on your radar at all to, to think about, to say, I, I want to I move towards that person and love them and serve them and come alongside of them and help them in any way that I can? Or is your only category for that person to win an argument with them, to prove them wrong, why they're wrong and why you're right? Because, friends, really, the Christian community exists. The point of this is to be with Jesus, to hear the gospel story, and then to bless other people. Is that on your radar? That's the picture of Christian community so far. We see its origin. We see its purpose. Last. Some of you are wondering, okay, how in the world do you get people like this who are different and diverse and believe different things and think different things, you put them all together, how do you get people to actually connect with each other intimately and to be on the same page, the same mission with each other? In other words, where do you get the power for this? Well, let's keep going. Here's the last thing we see. It's power. And, and, and we, we see this, there's this subtle hint in this passage. I, I, I kind of alluded to it earlier, but did you notice how Jesus renames some of these guys? Uh, you know, he literally changes their name, which I thought was, I've always kind of thought it's funny. It's like this guy comes up to Jesus and is like, hey, what's your name? Jesus, hey, I'm Simon. And Jesus is like, no, it's Peter. <laughs> no, it's Simon. No, Peter. I mean, it's, I just think that's interesting. You come up to me, hey, Matt, you know, it's my first time at RUF. Uh, my name's Jonathan. Bill. It's Bill from now on. I'm going to call you Bill. But this, this, is, this is literally what Jesus does. People walk up to him and he changes their name on the spot. And it's not, just with the sum of, it's not just with some of them. If you look at verse 14, he renames all of them. He just gives them this title. It says he designated them all as apostles. Apostles, uh, that word basically just means sent once. So he gives a new title, new names. What's going on? What's he doing Here's what he's doing. He is giving each of them a new identity. A new identity that is grounded and rooted in him. And the reason he does this is because you can't have community apart from an identity that is built on him. If I can say that in reverse. Let let me put it this way. If you build your life, if you build an identity on anything other than Jesus, you will destroy community. Now, I know that is a um, big statement that I just said. So let me explain what I mean by that. And and let me kind of get at it uh, by citing this uh, article that I read back in May. Uh, It was a Huffington Post article, and the the, the article was uh, about how people who buy organic foods, this is a scientific study that they were reporting on, and they said people who buy organic foods are generally reported to be more judgmental than people that don't. And the reason being, this article explained, is that anytime somebody makes a choice to buy food that's organic or local or, or whatever, they they pat themselves on the back and now have a moral superiority over people that didn't make that same choice. And so the article goes on and it it explains this. Uh, It says, this study, quote, found that when people feel morally virtuous about purchasing green or organic products, they sometimes experience a licensing of selfish and morally questionable behavior. 
otherwise known as moral balancing or compensatory ethics. The 2010 study suggests that such a halo of green consumerism makes people less likely to be kind to others and more likely to cheat and steal. So, apparently, if you buy organic food, you're a jerk. No, okay. That's, that, uh, I think that they are putting their finger on something interesting, even though that was silly. But here's what they're putting their finger on. Whenever you base your identity on you know, eating organic, local, green, whatever, that gives you a basis to look down on people that don't make that same choice. And so you divide the human race, and that's what destroys community. Let me give you uh, an example that may be a little bit more obvious than that one, um, which is where many of our friends are tonight, is watching the uh, presidential debate tonight. When your identity is built on your political party, on your political position, this means that you think the, other, the, the problems with our country are due to the other side. And there's this great deep divide that happens. When you, when you look at yourself, and the, the most important thing about you is that you're a Republican, you're a Democrat, you're whatever, then that means that the other side is demonized. And this is why, by the way, you see all the bricks that are getting thrown on Facebook. is because your identity is built on your political position. And that divides the human race and communities destroyed. Of course it is. But let's, let's think of examples that are a little bit more closer to home here on the you know, college campus of App. Uh, let's say, it, if you built your identity on your frat or your sorority, and, and uh, the most important thing about you is the fact that uh, you're in that particular house, that means that you have to look down your nose on the people that aren't in the Greek system at all or aren't in your particular house. Divides humanity, destroys community, and vice versa. If you're really proud of the fact uh, that you're not in the Greek system and you roll your eyes at that and you think it's lame, of course you're going to look down your nose on the people that are in it. And that divides humanity and that destroys community. Another example, if you build your uh, identity on being fashionable, wearing fancy things like me, then you have to look down your nose on people that you don't think have good taste. And if you really do kind of bank your identity and build a whole identity on the fact that you're a hipster, you like hipster culture, you have to look down your nose on people that you think are preppy. Is that still, do you all still use that word preppy? Okay, preppy. You look down your nose on people that you think are preppy. Divides, hum, divides humanity, destroys community. You can, you can think of a million different examples. If you build your identity on the fact that you work hard, as a student, you have to look down your nose on people that you think are lazy. If you build your identity on your moral or your religious convictions, you have to look down your nose on the people that have a different moral or religious convictions or don't live up to your moral or religious convictions. If you build your identity on your race, you're going to look down your nose and demonize people from other races. All of this divides humanity and destroys community. Only an identity that is built on Jesus gives you the power and enables you to really experience community. And I know some of you are thinking, okay, well, how is that any different? How is Jesus, as the main identity factor, any different? Why, why wouldn't that also divide humanity? Here's why. Because at the center 
of Christianity is a man dying for people that disagreed with him. At the center of Christianity is a man dying out of love, out of grace, for the very people that are disagreeing with him. And so if you claim to be a Christian, if you take the gospel deeper into your heart, and the center of your life is a man who died for you when you disagreed with him, then how can you in any way, shape, or form throw bricks at people that disagree with you? It doesn't make any sense. Because what begins to happen when you take the gospel in, it really does reformat your identity. Kind of like what we see going on in the story. And what you begin to do is you begin to see yourself first and foremost as a sinner saved by grace. And anything else that is true about you gets demoted. So you're a sinner saved by grace first, and you're white second. You're a Democrat second. You're a KD second. You're whatever second. But the first and foremost, the primary identity factor of you is a sinner saved by grace. And here's here's what that does. No longer will you divide humanity on any, on any grounds, on any basis, because you're no longer tempted to, to divide yourself from other people and then look down on other people. Why? Because you're, you just said your primary identity is that you're a sinner, and that completely takes your legs out from under you. It destroys your pride, and you have no basis to look down your nose on anybody anymore. And it simultaneously frees you to move towards people that are different and to actually love and embrace other people because you're a sinner saved by grace, which means you've experienced and tasted unfathomable love. And if that's what you have experienced, how can you not extend the same thing to other people? Don't you see, this is why you can get two people whose primary identity factor is that they are a sinner saved by grace and every other thing about them may be different, Republican, Democrat, white, black, whatever else, something different. Put them in the same room, and they can worship side by side. That enables community. Okay, what do you do with all this? Um, Let me give you three quick points of practical application, because I know a lot of this you look at and you're like, okay, I get it. I want to be a part of community. I don't know how. Three quick points of application, and then we're done. And it's this. Jump in, love out, and repent deep. And here's what I mean by that. Jump in. Stop consuming Christian community. Stop being a spectator to Christian community, but actually jump in deep and be a part of it. And here at RUF, we we have ready-made forums for you to just plug right into. We have community groups. We have Bible studies. If you're interested in what that means or you don't know, come talk with me. I'd be happy to talk with you about that. You know, jump in. It doesn't have to be RUF. There's lots of different groups on this campus. There's lots of different churches in this town. Just find something and jump in. And my suggestion is just jump into one. Not jump into six. Find one that you like and really jump in and dive deep. Jump in, love out. What this means is, who on this campus do you need to love? Stop being a consumer of ASU, stop using ASU and actually start loving it. Who on your hall that you know is lonely do you need to move towards and take care of and, and get to know and love and serve? Where on this campus do you need to serve? Where on this campus do you need to plug in? Where on this campus do you need to work to make it a more beautiful place? 
Jump in, love out, repent deep. What I mean by that is that you repent of any competing identity factors that begin to creep up. You know, when you begin to find yourself finding your identity in your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your grades or your athleticism or uh, your size or whatever, when you begin to notice that, you repent of it and you take it to Jesus and hear his forgiveness, hear his grace, and be reminded once again, okay, my primary identity factor is I'm a sinner saved by grace, and that frees you. Jump in, love out, and repent deep. Let me pray. Father, we do ask that you would give us the freedom to experience community in a real way, a community that is not just... Uh, a group of people that look like us and think like us, but to really move towards getting to know people that are different, to love people that are different. Uh, I pray that you would give us the grace by, um, by your Spirit's power to jump deeper into community, to, to, to meet new friends, to make new friends. Well, I, I know that there are people in this room that already are lonely, already feel like uh, just a fly on the wall on this campus, and Maybe a talk like this uh, just discourages them. Uh, I don't know. I pray that it wouldn't. Father, I pray that it would motivate people to, uh, to reach out, um, to connect in deeper ways, uh, to gather around, to be known by you, to hear the gospel story, and to work on loving and blessing this place that we're in. That's our prayer, Father, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.